Romans chapter 1, starting a new series in this Christmas season, Advent season. You know, it really, there's so many things I love about the Christmas season. I used to tell Alan Com, I used to tell him, I am the tick on the Christmas dog. I mean, I, I love everything about Christmas, but I don't lift a finger to make it happen. I just love it. I love it. Love Christmas, but I hate, I hate some things about Christmas too, don't you? I mean, I mean, the, the, the two lines that are the longest, right? The checkout line the day before and the return line the day after. Now, I'll grant you this whole sermon series, the great gift exchange, the gift exchange, I'll grant you that's just me being cute, okay? That's just me being cute. But I want to raise a theological point with you because it seems to me that there's this longing in the heart of people for what we don't have. And even when it comes to your walk with Christ, I know people, and maybe you're one of them, I've been one of them, at various times on any given day, I might be one of them, when I want something that I don't seem to have yet from the Lord. God has given me so many gifts. God has done so, God has been so kind to me. Can I get an amen? God has been so kind to you. God has been so kind to us. He's given us more than we could ask or imagine. God has been so gracious and so kind, but there's something about human nature. There's something about us that always wants what's next, always wants something that we don't have yet, always looking for the next right thing. And there's something, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you're opening presents Christmas morning, you open something that you're sure is going to be one thing and it's another, and you have this, this burden of generosity, this burden of gratitude that says, i got to be thankful for this, even though I'm doing the mental arithmetic in my head, how much can this bring me at the exchange counter? Because I want to take what I got and exchange it for what I really wanted. Oh, precious ones, look, here's the deal. Christmas season, Advent season, the coming of God's light into a dark world. God so loved us. God so loved us that he sent his son for us. Emmanuel, God with us. God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's glorious. When you first come to know Jesus, you're eaten up with the glory of it, but it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long before it begins to just sort of, I don't know, you know, is it, what, is it really, what is it really? And so, so I wanted to talk today about the gift of God, and especially from the book of Romans. It's not usually where you look for a Christmas passage, Romans chapter one, but there are some gifts that are referred to in Romans chapter one that, that, that we just need to see but honestly, the operative word and the thing that draws my mind to it that I want to talk to you about is that idea of an ingratitude of heart that sometimes takes the incredible gifts that God has given us and wants to swap them out for something else. And if it was true in first century Rome, it's even more true in 21st century West where we just... There's so many things that compete for our love. They compete for our attention. They compete for our devotion. They compete for our desire. But three things, three things in the book of Romans, in, in Romans chapter one, the, the glory of God, the glory of God, we'll see it in a minute. They, they took the glory of God and they exchanged it. And then the, the truth about God, 
Do you know there's a, an enemy of your soul who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? He's a liar. He's a liar. And sometimes those lies are so attractive and they're packaged so well that people like you and me find ourselves allowing the truth of God to slip through our fingers and in exchange, we're left with an empty promise that feels like a lie. And it is, and it is. And then the glory of God, the truth about God, and the, and the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Three gifts talked about in Romans chapter one. And by knowledge, I'm not talking about the knowledge that happens between your ears. I'm talking about a right now relationship with God. The knowledge of God that changes how you live. The knowledge of God that you walk in and you walk out. The knowledge of God that changes how you love your wife. The knowledge of God, the relationship with God that changes the kind of man you are, the kind of woman you are, the knowledge of God. And so I want us to talk about this because in Romans chapter 1, we'll see it when we read it here in a minute. They exchange the glory of God for images. You know, for, for so long, philosophy has said, you know, there's no such thing as God. We just create gods out of what we wish we wish God could be like, you know what? That's probably been true of me at various times in the past. But here's the thing about our God, Jehovah God, the God who meets our needs, the God who provides, the God who heals, the God who is a jealous God. He won't put up with that for long. I mean, I can, I can try to craft my own understanding of who God is. But God has this way of knocking that down like pins in the bowling alley. And God will not let that stand. They exchange the truth about God for images, things that I just make up in my head that, that, that say, oh, here's your God, there's your God, and you just chase after it. They exchange the glory of God for images. They exchange the truth about God. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. And man, I, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, if you, if you don't know what God says about you, then you are ripe for the deception of the enemy. They exchange the truth about God for a lie, and they turn their backs. It says this. It, we'll, we'll see it in a minute, but they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. I've known so many people through the years who have said, yeah, I know who God is. I, I used to follow Jesus. I asked Jesus in my heart when I was a kid, but then this happened, and I just can't trust that God anymore. Yeah, I used, I used to know God. I used to have this relationship with God. I used to, but, but then some people who represented God before me, let me down. In fact, they didn't just let me down. They wounded me, and they hurt me, and they shamed me. And I can't have anything to do with that anymore. They did not consider, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and so they just turned their backs on a relationship with God. Not, not, not knowing God between your ears. People, people hold on to what they think they know about God, and they let go of what their heart tells them is true about God. And that's what I want us to kind of wrestle with a little bit today. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, he said, human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Which leads me to these three questions that I'd like you to just chew on for a little bit today. One, what have you done with the glory of God? Because I think God has given us all some glimpse of himself. God has given us, I mean, I mean, how could you watch the sun come up in the morning and be put to bed at night without having some glimpse of the glory of God? How can you look into the eyes of a child 
right? Your own child, your, your grandchildren. How can you, without, without knowing something of the glory of God? And you have to work hard to silence that in order to pull it down and put something else in its place. What have you done with the glory of God? Question number two, are, are you holding on to the truth about God? Because you know some of the truth about God. You, you do. You, you know something about God that, that is inherently, God has placed eternity in your heart. God made you in his image. You know, you know certain things about who God is and what God does. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. There are things you know. There are things you know. Are you holding on to? Are you holding on to the truth about God? Or, Or have you opened your fist around that? And, and allowed it to slip through your fingers. And now you're holding on to whatever truism somebody puts on a meme and posts on Facebook. What are you holding on to? What are you, what are you banking your life on? Are you holding on to the truth about God? And then, and then this one. Are you knowing him, right? They, they, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Are you knowing him? Not do you know him, right? Not do you know him. I know Jesus. I've asked Jesus in my heart. I used to have a relationship. Not do you know him, but are you knowing him? Are you in the process of an ongoing relationship with God that changes how you live? Are you in the process of an ongoing relationship that changes the kind of person you are? That changes how you show up for people in your life? Are you in the process? Are you knowing him. And I want us to go to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read it with you. And the screen's going to follow along with some bullet points. But I want you to listen for this, right? I want you to listen for the glory of God and the truth of God and the knowledge of God. I want you to listen for the exchanges. I want you to listen for the slippery ways that the enemy of your soul right, leads you astray. So beginning at verse 18, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their way <coughs> excuse me by their wickedness since what may be known about god is plain to them because god has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse we've all seen Something about the glory of God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, reptiles. Therefore, it says, God gave them over in their sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. 
Amen. Because of this, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Did you hear the exchanges, the glory of God for an idol, the truth about God for a lie, the knowledge of God simply put on a shelf somewhere and forgotten about in your soul? Oh, but precious ones, the glory of God. Let's talk about the glory of God. Let's, let's, let's set before us the glory of God. Let's invite the Lord to give us, give us a glimpse of the glory of God, the worth of God, right? I mean, we sing, we sing the songs all the time. We sing the lyrics about more precious than silver, more costly than gold. That, that, that repeated refrain shows up in so many of our worship songs. And every time it does, there's something in my heart that says, oh, Lord, oh, forgive me for the things that I have that I've treasured more than I treasure you. Lord, forgive me for the things that I have allowed to, to crowd you off the throne of my life. And I put something else there instead, allowed something else to take that rightful place that only belongs to you, the worth of God, the weightiness of God. What kind of impact, what kind of impact has it made on your life, the fact that you know him? What kind of change has it brought about in you, the fact that you know him? Because I know people who would say, yeah, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. But there's no change that has come in their life. There's no difference that's been made in their life. And, and so it's not about the, the knowledge of God between the ears. It's about the knowledge of God that settles deep into your heart. The weightiness of it that begins to change the man that I am. It begins to change the person that I am. It begins to change how I show up with the people who matter in my life. The weightiness of God. C.S. Lewis talked in one place, uh, the weight of glory. If, if, if for one moment we could see the people around us through the God lens. I was talking with some friends about that yesterday morning at breakfast. Seeing people through the God lens. If you could see what is created into the humblest, most broken people around you. People in whom God has set eternity people who are created in the image of God. If you could see through the God lens and see the image of God dwelling on, dwelling in the people around you. Uh, Lewis, Lewis said, you would be tempted to fall to your knees in worship or in terror. <laughs> oh, Father, if only we could see with your lens the people around us, right? I mean, the, the weight of it all the glory, the glory of God. There's this line that comes later in the book of Romans. Maybe you know it. It's, it's a very popular refrain. So many people have hidden this verse in their heart. It says, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What have you done with the glory of God? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The idea being that we were created to know something of the glory of God. And yet we've come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and and fall short of the glory of God, to which we all simply drop our heads and say, that's true, that's me, 
I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. Oh, and we, we bow under the weight of it and we're weighted down by it. But it goes on. It doesn't stop there. The, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. That's the glory of God. That's the glory of God. And God has given us eyes to see it. There's something in you. Maybe you've not ever even been that person who has come to the place of saying, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, come into my heart. Even if you've never been there yet, there's something in you that wants it to be true. There's something in you that longs for some hope to be held out. Absolutely. Absolutely all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Me, you, all of us. But that's not the end of the story. And that, that is the glory of God. It was for the glory set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews 12. It was for the glory set before him, the joy set before him. You know, you know what the glory and joy set before Jesus was? <coughs> for which he endured the cross. You know what that was? It was you, forgiven and restored and redeemed. It was me, brought back into the fellowship with the Father who created me in his image and set eternity in my heart. That was the glory set before Jesus. That was the joy set before Jesus. Let me read you this one. It's, it's from Philippians uh, chapter 2. Let me just read this to you. I've got it marked here in my Bible. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used of his own advantage, something to be grasped and held onto. Instead, Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. Right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Right? Jesus put on flesh to dwell among us. We behold his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father. In appearance as a man, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. What have you done with the glory of God? That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. What have you done? With the glory of God. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was for the glory set before him that Jesus endured the cross. This is a big deal. When it says that, when it says that God, has, God has given us a glimpse of his glory. God has, God has allowed us to have a knowledge of, an experience of his glory. And yet we have somehow allowed that to slip through our fingers. Oh, Moses, Moses asked God for just a glimpse of his glory. Moses, it says this about Moses. It says this about Moses. Moses, God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend talks to a friend. It's an incredible thing. I don't know if you remember this, but when we were reading through the Bible together, you know, in, in Exodus, there was this tent of meeting set up and Moses would go out to the end and the spirit of God, the glory of God would rest over him and he'd be face to face with God. Man, don't you wish you had that? Don't you wish you could have the experience of coming face to face with God? And it says Moses, when he would leave from that moment, when he would leave from that encounter, 
with the Lord, he would have to put a, a veil over his face because he glowed and it scared everybody. It scared everybody the way he had been with the Father. But then it says something else kind of weird later in the book, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about it and he says, but you know, Moses, when the veil was there in the first place, it was there to kind of protect the others from that aura. But Moses, being who we all are, sometimes would wear the veil to hide the fact that he had not been in the presence of the Father. We have something that Moses could have only dreamed of. Oh, God spoke to Moses face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. But God came to dwell in you and me. God came to take up residence in you and me. We don't just behold his glory. We reflect his glory. We reflect his glory. Jesus said this, John 15, one of Jack's favorite passages, John 15, the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you let your roots go deep in me, if you let your roots go down into the flow from the Holy One of God, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. And, and he says, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit because the glory of God is meant to abide in you. Oh, precious ones. But there comes this place, this time, when people like you and me, we receive these incredible gifts from the Lord. Oh, picture it. Picture it. Things you didn't even know to ask for. And you unwrap and open the box and, oh, Father. Oh, Father. But it's not long. It's not long before you begin to Wish for something more or wish for something other or make the dark exchange of exchanging the glory of God for something that could never satisfy your soul. Allowing something else, whether it's a an accomplishment or a relationship or a, a, an acclamation, something that you long for, a promotion, a possession, a relationship, a conquest, that you would want something more than you want God. And the God who is more precious than silver, more costly than gold, is exchanged says this in, in Jeremiah. I've got, it, I've got it marked in my Bible. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know, you know what that means, right? Cisterns? You know what that means. They, they, have, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, which is always the better, right? It's always the better option. The spring of living water. It's always fresh, it's always cold, it's always pure, the spring of living water. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, you who are thirsty. I'll cause springs of living water to flow up in you. They have rejected me, 
They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cistern. Cistern is, it's an old term. You dig a hole in the ground to collect the runoff of yesterday's rain against tomorrow's need, right? And you just collect the old water. You collect the old water. Trouble is, it's dead water. And it begins to grow things in it. And it stirs up and it's muddy and it's murky. It'll make you sick. And at some point, it'll seep out. And you'll go where water should have been. And you'll find nothing but an empty hole. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. They just don't work. What have you done? What have you done with the glory of God? What have you done with the glory of God? Isaiah describes it. I've I've got it marked. Isaiah describes the life of someone who makes these exchanges, who creates these idols. All who make idols, they're nothing, and the things they treasure, they're worthless. And those who would speak up for them are blind, they're ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit them nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. He says the blacksmith takes a tool, and he works with it in the coals, and he shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. Who does that? He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. And it's used as fuel for burning. And some of it he takes and warms himself and he kindles a fire and bakes his bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He who makes an idol and bows down to it. Who does that? We. Do that. We do that. We allow things to crowd God off the altar, off the throne of our lives in exchange for accomplishments or possessions or relationships or conquests. So I want to invite you into those questions, right? What have you done? with the glory of God? What, what have you done with what you know about God? Have you, have you allowed it to slip through your fingers? Does it, does it weigh what it weighs in your heart, in your soul? Or have you allowed every wind and wave to pull you in one direction or another? What have you done? What have you done with the glory of God? God planted in you. What have you done with it? What have you allowed to have? What, are, are, you, are you holding on to the truth about God? Are you holding on to what you know to be true about God? God loves you. God loves you. Maybe you say, oh, Rusty, I know God loves you, but I'm not so sure he loves me. No, 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 no. What have you done with the truth? Are you holding on to the truth about God, the God who loved you so much that he would send his son for you? The Jesus who would love you so much that he would leave the halls of heaven to put on flesh and dwell among us. What have you done with the truth about God? God loves you. God loves you so much 
that it was for the glory and the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Are you holding on to the truth about God? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. Let me ask you this. Are you knowing him? Or are you resting on the laurels that you once knew him? Are you knowing him? Or did you somewhere along the way not think it worthwhile to retain the knowing of God? You got busy doing other things. You got busy chasing other pursuits. And somehow you took this gift of the knowledge of God, the right now knowledge of God, relationship with God, and you put it on a shelf in a back closet of your heart. But it's time to reconnect and rekindle that relationship. Would you stand with me just in a spirit of prayer? The altar is open for you. My friend Jackie would pray with you. I would pray with you. Jack would pray with you. <coughs> Maybe today's a day for you to come and push those other things off the throne of your life that you've allowed to come between my heart and my Savior, right? Maybe it's time for you to come and, and kneel and repent. God, I'm sorry for what I've let take my eyes off of you. I'm sorry. God, would you remind my heart of the truth of who you are? Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I give my life back to you. Maybe today's your day for the first time. Maybe you've known about God for a long time, but the knowledge of God, the real personal right now relationship knowledge of God, maybe you've never entered into that. And maybe today's your day to pray that prayer that says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I need you, God. Come into my life, God. We would love to pray that prayer with you. In the last service, we saw this happen. There were some people who just, they were drawn to the altar. And it wasn't as much for themselves as much as it was for the people that they love. Maybe their children or their grandchildren. People that honestly, they don't want to go to heaven without, but people who have maybe known something about the glory of God known something about the truth of God, known something about a relationship with God, but have walked away from it. And there was this prayer in their heart. We prayed with so many people, just praying, Lord, in Jesus' name, that he would come home to you. In Jesus' name, that you would silence the voice of the enemy in his heart and his mind. In Jesus' name, that he would find you, that you would find him, that you would find her, that you would speak the truth. However God leads you, this altar is yours. 